Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Hello, professional podcast recorder. Oh, hello. <laughs> I know we recorded earlier this week, but that episode is going to get held and I was admiring your new podcasting equipment <laughs> three years in. Should I, Actually, should I? I told Sarah, I was like, I should have for podcasting equipment. And Christy like has all the fancy equipment three years into our podcasting journey. <laughs> she want to give me a raise or a promotion? <laughs> <laughs> we don't make that much on sponsorship. I think like... What we pay you is basically what we make on a sponsorship. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) I hope you know that. I just was like, it's time to like step up. Like this is, this is legit. It's not going anywhere. So, and you know, I'm sure Carrie appreciates having better sound quality coming out of one end of the show or two ends of the show now. Carrie, you can feel free to interrupt this intro and tell us what you think of Christy's new podcasting equipment. Yes, you should chime in. in. (laughs) It's about freaking time, says the editor, who's actually not even mic'd up right now. Well done. Um, Yes, I emailed. I emailed for recommendations. You sent them to me, and um, three days later, they it was at my doorstep. Joined Amazon.com. Worked out well. So, what's up? What's new with you? What's new with me? Well, we talked for a long time on Tuesday. I know, but Um, they didn't hear this. I know. Uh, Well, okay. So I talked about this on Tuesday, but I did finish my Olympic weightlifting program today. um, And I was very excited about it. My beginner program that I started in May and then had frozen children in the middle of, but I was very proud of myself. And I, um, I PR'd my clean and jerk again today, which was quite exciting that I could, that's like the movie, take the bar off the ground and then you put it over your head. And that I went from having a frozen shoulder to being able to put 121 pounds over my head was pretty exciting. So that you go like up here and then push it up. Yeah. So you go from the ground, heave it up to your shoulder ish area. Yeah. And then raise it up above your head. So yep. Carrie can also get this video. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much exact form. <laughs> I am a pro. <laughs> not wouldn't have taken you eight weeks to learn how to do that it would not have taken me eight weeks to learn how to do that but 
So, well, yeah. I'm so proud of you for lifting heavy shit. Cause you. Me I mean, too. you practice what you preach, right? Yeah. So it's been so, fun. What about you? Uh, you were watching basketball the other night. Mm, dang. They lost in overtime. Um, but I mean, it's all good. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of glad that they, right? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Final four and all those things. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I love, I love basketball. I love basketball. I love soccer. Those are kind of my favorites to watch. And, um, uh, we got tickets to the Casey current. I think I talked about that on one podcast, but anyway, we got season tickets to the Casey current. Have I not told you this? So the Casey current is the Kansas city women's professional soccer team. I've got, I can, I'm sure I've told you this. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. The, well, the stadium, they're building a stadium right near our loft, the Tim's loft up in Kansas city. It is the, it is designated. It's the first professional sports stadium built specifically for a women's team in the world. And it's 2023. So yay, it's happening. And B, you know, yay, it's happening in, you know, my home state, but dang in the world. So, um, we bought, we felt like we needed to buy season tickets to support the Casey current. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the rain is out here, which is Megan Rapinoe's team. Mm-hmm. And, um, they used to play in Tacoma, which is where I live, but they moved them. They now play in the, the same place that the men and the Seahawks play in Seattle. But I'm like, one of the most well-known soccer players in the world. And they used to be like, Oh, you guys just go over to Tacoma, which there's not even a big stadium here. Yeah, exactly. And play. So yeah. Do you know what percentage of sports coverage is focused on women in last year? Um, I do because you told me, I told you the other day. (laughs) (laughs) So let me make my guess. I can't remember what I said. I think I said 12%. Yeah. And it's my guess and it's five. Yeah. So, which, I mean, I thought 12% was low (laughs) because 12% is low. But it's actually worse than that. Yeah, I'm so over the argument that we see, like, because we'll post stuff like this every now and then on Feisty. And I'm just so over this argument, like, women's sports don't make as much money. Women's sports, nobody watches. I'm like, nobody watches it because nobody can see it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it's like, yes, there are some financial truths to that. However, let's acknowledge that you're in a system that has benefited you for all of sporting history. And that is why men's sports are so profitable. Like Wait, if we would have been sporting like, history, hey, women's sports are all of history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just so interesting. Cause you know, like I'm a CrossFitter now, um, but when you go to, when you go into CrossFit, you know, like the women's field is so elevated. And I would say, the women probably have fans and they're probably paid more from sponsorship than men, but it's because it was a new sport right. and they developed it with, with equal that's, coverage. I from think that's why you're seeing it in, in gravel. Like, yeah, because I, I think gravel has come in as a new sport and we've just, that's just been a priority. So you're seeing it happen. The Grand Prix is going to end up being a great case study. I kind of wish we would have really started that already. Maybe we need to get on that. So, well, you should talk to Amanda. We should actually have Amanda Nauman on because I've really been that's enjoying her podcast. She, we haven't had her on. Yeah, let's get her back on. I time. think that's a good But, idea. you know, she did all this research. Did I tell you this? Did you hear this in that episode? Mm-hmm. She did this research on the number of social media followers and like the women's. So she had 
I guess she at the beginning of the season went and checked all the women's social media followers, all the men's good on her and the women's like the men had an increase, but it wasn't as big as the women had an increase in following in social media um, through the Grand Prix. And I don't know, she's just been having really good conversations about it. So um, I think we should get her back on Amanda chat with us. <laughs> I don't know if she listens to us, but I listen to her. I like, I listen to her. And I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm fangirling you. Cause I'm like texting you something that I heard your podcast every week now, <laughs> but she's been having a lot of really smart conversations, um, kind of about where the state and blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. Well, uh, we have some news ish. I think by the time the next podcast comes out, this will happen. Maybe if we can get our shit together. What? <laughs> I'm taking a little break from the podcast for the month of February and you're going to have a new co-host. <laughs> I was like, what's the news? I don't know it. I know. Sometimes I'm you don't tell me. bouncing news onto you at the last minute. Yeah. I like your authentic reaction. Okay. Well, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Brooke Gowdy is going to be taking my seat or if you're out of town, your seat um, for the month of February. Um, and we're going to be just give it, give it, a shot up microphone. um, and I hope there's some good video because I do plan on, um, rocking a red lip while Brooke is, <laughs> I told, I was talking to Brooke yesterday and I said, Oh, Christy plans to get her red lipstick. Cause she did ask for in her contract, somebody that's going to be the holder of her red lipstick. I was like, yeah, she did the neutral lip for a little bit. And I was like, I like the neutral lip, Brooke. It's a good look. Yeah, I think that's maybe her non-writing look. Mm, maybe. I'm gonna I'm gonna rock the red lip. We're gonna have to we're gonna have a red lip throwdown. She'll totally win. Yep, dueling red lip. Yeah. So so if we can get it all together, that'll be like starting in February. She'll be taking over the February episodes. Um, it is that's obviously Black History Month, and we just wanted to um, have a space to elevate women of color. Um during the month. So, um, yeah, so we're going to try to get some of Brooke's friends on for interviews as well. Which will be, I don't, Like I was in the finish shoot of unbound, um, doing some interviews and Brooke was standing with me and, and like, she basically took the microphone away from me and started yeah, going to be so, so good. I have a feeling I'm going to get replaced. <laughs> you're not going to get replaced. You're not gonna get replaced so <laughs> anyway, Everybody has that to look forward to a little break from me. <laughs> um, or you have a trip to Patagonia. So maybe a break. Yeah, I you. have a trip to Patagonia. So there'll be a break for me too. But um, so, yeah, anyway. but this, this episode we've got coming up is amazing. So you're going to get to hear a little bit from um, now. Her last name just went out of my head. I know. Tear, tear, tear garden, tear, yeah. Starla. Wow. That's her first name. <laughs> Forgive us. <laughs> we're the worst <laughs> they usually christy has the last name down and i'm the one that's like yeah but i don't have my pen and paper with me right now yeah. so that's i usually keep some notes beside me anyway but starla's her story is amazing you're gonna want to hear this and you might want something that you can punch while you're listening to it because you're gonna be so angry at the way she was treated in the medical community so yep we'll stop talking <laughs> we'll let you get on to and there's a hopeful ending so don't you know just to listen um, we'll let you enjoy this interview with Starla T. <laughs> Starla T.
You are crushing it today, Miss Catherine. I found the record button on the first time. You did. I I, I want to know, like I I went and got this full setup for recording podcasts, and now you're not wearing your headphones. Is this is this passe? Should I go back to something simpler? No, it's oh, it's because they give me a headache. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I can give okay. them out. <laughs> and just no <laughs> need. <laughs> okay. We're not going to talk to each other because we have a guest that I've been excited about for quite Yay! a long time. And I forgot to ask you how to say your last name, Starla. <laughs> Tedder Green. Yeah, I would have never gotten it. <laughs> Tedder Green. I love that last name. What's the heritage? Um, two extremely stubborn parents. Uh, oh. So my my mom is green and my dad is Tedder and neither one wanted to change or hyphenate. And so they're like, well, we'll just combine it and come up with a new name. And so... Here we are, and I'm the only one with it now. That's amazing. Yeah. So when me and my husband got married, we thought about we're like changing my name, but then I was like, well, then no one will have that name anymore. And so, yeah, we wanted to keep it. And then also, if I changed my my name to his, it would sound really funny. It would have been Starla Dawn Zond. And we're just like, we can't do that. So that's amazing. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you. We are going to have you at the gravel festival this year with your BMC athlete and you have a really rad project that's happening and we want to hear all about that. But first we need to start with how did Starla get into bikes and bike racing? Oh gosh. That is a, a, a long trip down memory lane. Oh, Um, I've always, always loved bicycles ever since I was a little kid, Um, but really kind of got into it as a bike messenger in Seattle when I was 19 years old. And yeah, that's where I discovered that I'm like, you can like ride a bike for a living. I was like, this is awesome. It's so much freedom and just, yeah, I get to ride my bike all day. So was a bike messenger in Seattle and San Francisco for about six years. Um, And then once I was in San Francisco, kind of figured out uh, that road racing existed. There was a a messenger team that was mostly comprised of bike messengers, but they're like, you're really fast. You're really good at doing these like messenger races, like Alley Cats and other events that messengers put on and they're like, you should try road racing. And so, yeah, that was probably 18 or 19 years ago. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, just kind of jumped into crit racing and found it really hard, (laughs) really different than anything I did, but absolutely loved it. And yeah, just kind of started from there. How was bike messaging messengering? Yeah. In San Francisco. That sounds intense. It was, it was a lot easier than Seattle. Um, as far as like terrain goes, but as traffic, it was, it was really hard. Like you had to be really aggressive to defend yourself against cars and pedestrians. And yeah, it was, it wasn't an easy job for sure. But I think it gave me a lot of like the bike handling skill sets that still like serves me today. I was to say, it sounds like a great for mass starts at a gravel race. <laughs> yes. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. It like, it built up, I think my like sprint and my endurance, because you would be like sitting around waiting for a job and then you'd have 15 minutes to get it across town. And so it was like, sit around, sprint, sit around, sprint. And so that was like every day, day in, day out. That's amazing. How, can you explain what alley cats are? Cause I didn't know about these things until I moved to Seattle or to the Seattle area. And I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Um, yeah. So alley cats, we would have them almost every Friday night after work and they're unsanctioned races that go on in the city, like on city streets where you are given a manifest. So you're told you have to go to this address, this address, or this address. And once you get there, you have to get your manifest stamped or you pick up a package or however um, the races run that night. And so you just have to show proof that you got to each point and then whoever gets back accomplishing the, the stops or the tasks, whatever, wins said LA Cat race. But it's it's an illegal race through the city streets with a bunch of people trying to go as fast as they can running stoplights and stop signs and <laughs> try not to get hit by cars or run over pedestrians. Good God. It's a race of director. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> Pretty much. But it sounds but a lot of fun. <laughs> See, then people would not be so worried about safety on gravel if they'd done the alley cats before. Oh my gosh. Seriously. I, um, yeah, constantly I go back to that and I'm like, we were insane for yeah what we did and what we thought was safe and fun. And yeah. Well, luckily you made it out alive because we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it was honestly way safer than any criterium I've ever done. Oh, wow. That's great. And then you, you were on a road racing team. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I started racing, I was prim- primarily doing criterium racing, um, mostly because that's what I was told I was good at. Um, like early on in my career, people were like, oh, you're a sprinter. And so I went to criteriums cause I was like, that's, that's what I am. I'm a sprinter. Um, like I, I remember the first time I ever showed up to a road race, people were like, what are you doing here? And I was like immediately defeated. Cause I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I can't climb. I can't do these long distances. Um, but slowly I was like, if I'm going to become a better athlete, I need to push myself. I need to, you know, ride outside what my so-called strengths are and yeah, kind of figure it out. And so, yeah, as I continued to grow, I started to figure out, it's like, no, I can do more than just sprint. I can climb, I can do breakaways. And so I started to get noticed and then picked up on bigger teams until I was racing on, uh, like UCI stage race teams. And then what was your transition to start riding off-road? So uh, the pandemic, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> um, at the end of 2019, so I had been on Hoggins Berman Supermint for several years and that team had f- closed at like folded, I guess, or decided to disband at the end of um, the 2019 season. And so I had signed with a team to race um, internationally for, uh, 2020, but then as, as the world knows it shut down with the pandemic and there was no racing. And so at that point it was kind of one of those, 
crises where you're, I had to figure out who I was if I wasn't on a team, if I wasn't going to races, if I wasn't, you know, lining up on a start line. I kind of had to redefine myself as an athlete and define like what it actually meant to be an athlete. And it, like, I kind of came to the conclusion that it doesn't matter if you're at a start line, it doesn't matter if you're in your race, as long as you're continuing to push yourself and pursue to be better than you were the previous day, then I guess I redefined for myself what it meant to be an athlete. So, um, yeah, so with no races and, you know, being isolated, I, you know, kind of went to riding on dirt roads and gravel and mountain biking. Cause I'm like, okay, this is a lot safer. I'm not with cars. And then started thinking about, well, how am I going to fill my time and push myself? And so started doing, um, like thinking about doing FKTs and just other, other challenges to continue to grow. And so switching and starting to do like train to do endurance events, I was just like, this is really challenging. This is really fun. And just kind of started to head in that direction, um, mentally. And so once racing kind of did come back, uh, one of the first races I did was Kotoit, which was a 200 mile race from, uh, fruit of Colorado into Utah and back. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also one of the funnest. And it just absolutely made me fall in love with gravel. And I was like, this is it. I'm done. I'm never going back to road <laughs> racing. This, this is what I want to dig into. And, and I think what I loved about it most was that it was a solo effort and I wasn't playing a role. I was just out there pushing myself as hard as I could and really just in, enjoying the whole experience and the community was just so supportive and so inviting that I was like, this is just another aspect of cycling that I've never experienced. And yeah, just fell in love with it. It's a great one to start with. Morgan is such a good guy. So, I mean, that's just awesome. Yeah. He, it, yeah. I feel like if I had done any other gravel race, I don't think I would have walked away with the same experience. So Yes, I, I I blame Morgan 100% for making me fall in love with gravel. I'm sure he'd get behind that. <laughs> so then you raced in 2021, which is when we met you at last best ride. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then uh, 20, is that when you started Distance to Empty or was that in early 2022? So it was, it was kind of a... Pet pro- yeah, it was kind of, it was in its gestation period in 2021 because I started doing, you know, more gravel racing, more mountain bike racing. And I was like, this is something I really want to dig into. And so it was kind of part of wanting to give back to cycling, but then also having a race program as a privateer. Um, so yeah, it started to grow and gain traction um, in 2021. And then we launched it at the beginning of 2022. So that was like, it's inaugural, like kickoff was at the beginning of that year, but we had been thinking about it 
and just a way for us to, yeah, spend our time and put our energy into this project. Yeah. Started in 2021. I was going to say, so for those of us that don't know, what is distance to empty? (laughs) So distance to empty, it's kind of, um, it has three different aspects to it. Um, it started, it started by, I guess it's kind of hard to, (laughs) I'm so bad at telling this. So it's, (laughs) Well, you're going to be the opening speaker at our event. So you should practice. I need, I need to practice this. It's, I think it's like, I have such a hard time because I'm like, there's so many different like inspirations behind it. And there's so much we're trying to accomplish with it. But yeah, as far as me being like nailing a tagline for it, I'm terrible. That's where you need to talk to my husband. He's I can great. help you with that. That's what I do in my other job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's a storytelling platform to tell stories about people. Um, pursuing things against all odds odds. And so it's, it's a thought of trying to encourage people to look at their lives. Like, how are they spending their time? Cause we all, we all have limited time. Right. And so we always, it's a question of, well, what is, yeah, what is my distance to empty? And am I spending my time mm. ap- appropriately filling my life with joy and meaning? And so how, how we generally get there is by doing really hard things that challenge us. Mm-hmm. And so the, this, the main inspiration came from my husband because he, he has a rare genetic disease that has, you know, is constantly trying to take his life. He had a kidney transplant when his kidneys failed and then a couple of years later, he had a double bypass surgery. Um, wow. And so like he's, he's one of those people. I mean, he, he used to be, you know, an ultra dirt, like distance athlete. And he has built two companies. He's been, you know, the CEO of a company. He's always striving and, you know, trying to be the best and push himself. And despite the kidney transplant and the heart surgery, he is still just trying to squeeze the most out of life. Wow! And so his, his story alone is kind of the inspiration for what distance to empty embodies. And so that is life is short. You never know you know, if, if you will have tomorrow and so many people will just wait to start living. And like his, his dad is a a great example. Like he worked so hard to provide for his family. And then as soon as he retired, he was diagnosed with cancer and then shortly after passed. And so for both my husband and myself, it's a very clear, you know, picture that you can't wait to start living. And so with this, with distance entry, we really want to bring light to that, that life is short and you need to start living it now, essentially. That's incredible. So, so yeah, that's kind of, a little, I guess, some of the backstory to, to the inspiration behind it. And with that, we were like, well, what, what do we want to do with this? You know, it's like, we want to, we want to tell stories about people doing 
hard things against all odds. And we want to inspire people. Um, but in conjunction with that, so like I was, there's like three different parts to it. So it's the inspiration storytelling part. And then there's my race program. Um, so I race under distance to empty to hopefully inspire and encourage people to do really hard things. And then the third part is the distance to empty pursuit awards. And that's kind of like really my way to give back to what cycling has given to me. And so it's a program where we partner with Colorado based um, race promoters and we provide a full season of racing for the awardees that we select each year. And so through the partnership with the Colorado uh, race promoters and my personal sponsors that sponsor my race program, we're able to support these women who wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise, whether they're lacking in the financial resources or the support system from their families or communities or whatnot. And we provide an opportunity to, for them to get to these races, to participate in these events and support them as much as we can. So like through equipment or nutrition, um, through mentorship from me so that they can get to the start line without any hurdles. Um, and so with that, what we're trying to do is inspire women that are already facing struggles that you can do hard things and you can gain confidence, um, through doing these events that if you can, if you can get yourself through a 30 mile, a 60 mile, a hundred mile gravel event then you can tackle hard things in your life as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with that, we're also like trying to build community and have like help them dig into their communities and find like-minded people that understand the importance of doing hard things, both mentally and physically, um, because it can benefit you in other aspects of your life. So, so yeah, there's the three three different aspects of the distance to empty program. That's very cool. Um, well, when you, you launched this and you had no idea you were going to have your own distance to empty journey in 2022, right? Yeah. Yeah. It. um, we, we launched the program, I think it was January 1st and, you know, opened up the application window and started applications started to come in. We selected our four riders for the season and then we went radio silent. And <laughs> that was, that was not, not how we, uh, intended to, to kick off the program. Um, what had happened is in, I guess, early January, February, um, both me and my husband got COVID despite our best efforts. We were, we, we have been like super careful and diligent, uh, because my husband is immune suppressed from the kidney transplant. And so, I mean, we were, I think at that point, double vaccinated, wore masks all the time, but unfortunately we still both got COVID, um, got through it pretty, 
well, he was able to get treatment for it. And I was, you know, relatively okay. Um, so once I started testing negative, I was trying to slowly get back into training. And then I started to experience complications and it started with my heart. Um, it was all over the board. Like if I was doing like super easy effort, it was at like tempo threshold. It was like crazy. Or if I was washing the dishes, next thing I know, it would like drop to my resting heart rate. And so started seeing doctors for that. And they're like, yeah, something's off, but you'll be fine. Just kind of, you know, go with it. You'll, you'll be okay. And then my hands started to go numb and tingly. And again, they're just like, we think you have anxiety. We think you're, you're manifesting this. And so I, I went and saw, I just rolled I my even, eyes hard because this happens yeah. to women all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I saw doctor after doctor after doctor and they were doing like strength tests. Cause I was like, I'm losing control of my left arm. And they were like, oh, well, you can still control it. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm an athlete. You should not be able to push my arms together. And it was just overall, it was a very frustrating process because it was weeks and weeks of this steady decline and burning, numb sensations all over my body. And yeah, losing control of my left hand and my left arm and I could barely breathe. And yeah, a neurologist, he, he did a couple little tests and told me I was making it all up. And so finally we called a friend in LA and she was like, you need to see my doctor. And so I told her my list of symptoms, what was going on. And she was like, you need to get here immediately. This is serious and needs to be treated. So flew out to LA And they, I saw a neurologist there who believed me and was like, we need to get MRIs done. And so they found, um, a lesion on my spine at C5, C6 and diagnosed it at this point as transverse myelitis, which is essentially a, it's a lesion that is affecting my nerve, um, like my nerves throughout my entire body. And so they originally treated it with steroids, which helped clear up the breathing and some of the heart issues. And I was starting to feel, feel somewhat better. And then a couple of days later, it was like, I fell off a cliff. It was to the point where I was having like numbness all over my body, burning sensations vibrations that were running through my legs into my feet. I couldn't move or control my left hand and left arm. And then I was losing the ability to control my legs. And so at that point they saw me again and put me into the emergency room and I was admitted and it was a very, very quick decline at that point to the point where if I closed my eyes, I would fall over and I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't stand up without falling over. And so 
they did some more MRIs and the lesion on the spine had gotten worse. They had also found a couple lesions in my brain. And at this point there, it was undetermined if it was MS or an un- undetermined at this point. And so they ran test after test after test. They also found that I had antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting disorder that after a lot of research with COVID, they found to be very common among COVID patients, that this is a temporary thing that comes up. So at the time, they also put me on blood thinners and then they went through a treatment of plasmapheresis where they put two, two different um, IVs in you, one to take your blood out, clean it, remove the plasma, and then put your blood back in with um, a fake plasma. Like basically what your husband had to do if he had to go through dialysis for a kidney, right? Uh, so he, he never, he never got to dialysis, but yes, it would have, it would have been a very, very similar, similar process. Um, so I was in the hospital for nine days and we went through five of these treatments and at the end of, after the, after the fifth treatment, then they did, um, an infusion of, um, Rituxin, which is a immune suppressor, a suppression. And so at that point, what they were trying to do was to stop the autoimmune attack that was happening and then suppress my immune system so that it wouldn't start back up again. Um, so at that point, when I got discharged from the hospital, being on blood thinners, they they were telling me, they're like, you may never get to ride a bike again, because if you fall or anything, it could be, you know, life-threatening to even, to even get a bruise. And so when I left, it was, yeah, a huge, huge question mark of who will I be? What will the rest of my life look like? And really just a fight to to come back and be able to walk again, normal. And yeah, so it was, it was hard. It was really crazy. It's crazy. And it also makes me so mad that, that your doctors said you were making it up. Oh, I mean, if I hadn't advocated for myself, if my husband hadn't fought so hard for, yeah, for my health and what, like, to get people to believe what was going on. I mean, my doctors in LA were like, if you had waited any longer, you would not have come back from this. The damage would have been, you know, permanent. Yeah. And so, yeah. Not that, not that it really matters, but for some reason it's really bothering me. Did, did you ever talk to the doctors that just screwed it up and say, dudes, Maybe you should listen. Yeah, my, so at the time I was honestly so traumatized from the the whole experience, but yes, my, my husband submitted a report to the medical board reporting that neurologist that, yeah, told me I was just an anxious woman and I was making it up. Yeah. Okay. It's just 
because you know we have this within the feisty portfolio we have a very large group a community of women that are in the the perimenopause phase and like the amount of times we see people tell them that their doctors say they're making things up it just makes me so mad that women are not believed with their medical providers and that you had to like fly to LA, which I'm sure like, that's probably not even covered by your insurance, right? Like, fortunately, yeah, it mean, it was not covered by my insurance because we, we are not covered for, for out of state, but because so like all the appointments that I had there, yeah, I mean, we were, we were having to pay out of pocket, but once they admitted me into the emergency room, then it was covered through insurance. Uh, I just, this this, is frustrating. (laughs) So frustrated (laughs) under your insurance where your husband could be in his home. Like, like all the expense that you had to do because a doctor chose not to believe you. Right. And maybe you would have got, you got better care. Like maybe it was the the right place. You you obviously ended up in the right place. You know, you, you ended up where you needed to be. So there's, there is that. And I, I mean, there is that, but it just like, you think about the vicious cycle of, you know, the doctor wasn't believing you, your initial neurologist wasn't believing you. But I do think what that sets up is a culture where, you know, I'm like, well, is this, am I having a symptom or am I just making this up? Like you start, you start even doing it to yourself, you know, you know, where you start doubting yourself, where it's hard to even kind of believe yourself because these people are supposed to be experts. So am I really feeling this or am I not? And obviously in your case, it was so extreme that you're like, no, this is not made up. This is, I know my body and this is not right, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even when I was laying in the hospital bed, I was constantly, because I think there's part of you that wants to be okay. You want, you you do not want to be in this hospital bed. You want it to be fake. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want this to be real. Yeah. You're laying there and you're like, I was constantly just like, well, is this happening? Am I feeling this? Am I getting better? Is this getting worse? It was just a constant exhausting mental battle of, of questioning. Yeah. Questioning every sensation that I was having. And so, yeah, not to be believed. And like when I'm in that hospital bed, it was, it's a learning. So I was, I was at Cedars Sinai, which is a learning hospital. And so when I was being seen by these doctors, it was also with all of their students. And so because I was a very unique, I guess, an interesting case that they were very interested in. And I'm like, okay, this is great. But at the same time, you have, you know, you're laying there and you have six different people like examining you and asking questions and staring at you. And you're just like it was, it was such a surreal experience to be like having this mental battle of what, what am I feeling and how can I relay this to someone when it is such a, a weird sensation? Like, I'm like, I'm completely numb around the waist, but I'm also having like feels like my skin is sunburnt and on fire and it feels like telephones are ringing in my feet. And it's like saying those, saying those words out loud, you're like, this sounds insane. (laughs) Right. And how, how do I express this and explain this to someone and have them believe me? And so, yeah, it was, it was just, it was such a crazy experience. 
I wonder if you can look that up on WebMD. Telephones ringing in my feet. <laughs> Does it come up? <laughs> like so like or summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, it was, yeah. It was a crazy experience. And I mean, I still have some of those, those symptoms to yeah, this day. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is the, what's the prognosis been and how, how did you come out of that from, from being that sick? Yeah. So so before leaving Cedars, we made sure that we set up a medical care team here that I could come back to because I would need further treatment. And they wouldn't release me until I had a neurologist, until I had a rheumatologist, until I had a primary care doctor that was all on board and on the same page and able to take over my care. Because at that point, I was on so many different medications being treated for multiple things. And so, so we set up a team here and came, came back. And then at that point, it was just kind of like your body just needs time to heal. My immune system was being suppressed. So it wouldn't attack itself again. And then it was kind of just at that point, we just have to wait and see and then run more tests. Um, So once I had the team established here, then it was kind of retesting, retesting, going through the process of, uh, finally getting me off the, the blood thinners. Cause that, that in itself was kind of a, a life sentence as far as not being able to continue as an athlete or really doing anything that I love. Like I even, it was like afraid of my dogs at that point. Cause like if they got too rambunctious and scratched me or, you know, did anything, it could have been, it could have been serious. So, um, yeah, so coming home, it was just to rest, try to rebuild some strength so I could walk again and working with this team of doctors to kind of figure out what was going on. And so it's still a very unclear diagnosis, like talking to my neurologist, he's, he knows how frustrating it is to live in a gray area. So to be diagnosed with MS, you have to officially check three boxes. And so the lesions in the brain and the lesions on the spine check two of the boxes. But the third one is, is that gray area where there were some symptoms I had had in the past that could have been an episode, but was never like caught or diagnosed as one that could have been that, that third, that final check. Um, and so right now I'm, I'm under current monitoring to see if any more lesions, um, were to, to happen either on the brain or the spine, or there could be um, something that would go on with my eyes that could, could be a potential or, um, any other kind of like relapse kind of episode kind of thing. So at this point they're, they're treating me as I have MS. So I'll be on an immune suppressor infusion that I get every six months and that will happen for the rest of my life. And so I'm getting treated that side from the neuro from neurology and then from the rheumatology side. And this is 
like we've always kind of known I've had some kind of underlying autoimmune disease and that has presented in swollen joints or ran, random pain throughout the body. And so I'm being treated on that side as well with a different form of immune suppressor. And so at this point, it's just kind of treat it, wait and see, and yeah, try to try to live the healthiest life I can. To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. And then you came back and won a race last year from all that. I remember you were just there. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was a moment. That was definitely a moment because yeah, coming back from all of this, I was, as soon as I got the clear to get off the blood thinners and start riding my bike again, I was just focused, so focused on training and allowing myself to have the opportunity to, to come back and see what I could do. And so, yeah, I went back to Foco Fondo. Um, they're one of our supporting race partners and, um, Whitney, who is one of the, uh, race promoters who runs it was a former teammate. And so I just love supporting that race, love her. And I had won the race the previous year and wanted to go back and defend that. And I really, you know, like publicly, I was like, I just want to finish it. I just want to finish it. Cause I hadn't yeah, ridden a hundred like, miles, <laughs> but secretly, yeah, personally, I was like, I want to win this. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, starting out, it was there, there with Jess, Sarah, who's also a former teammate and dear friend of mine, we were both just kind of like, we're just going to ride this. We're just going to have fun. <laughs> and <laughs> I've heard that from Jess a lot. Yeah. And then she's like, top 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We found ourselves in the front group. We looked around and we're like, we're the only women here. And we're like, crap. And so it was like, we're going to race it. And then she, she turned to me and she was like, I want you to win this. I want to race it for you. And so, sorry, I'm going to get emotional. I'm getting emotional. (laughs) And so, yeah, so she supported me. I mean, I I definitely struggled in that race, like 
it was hard to keep the pace some at some points, but she, yeah, stuck with me all the way to the end. And I was going to come across the line holding hands with her, but the last minute she just like flung me forward to make sure that I won. And yeah, it was, it was really, it was really special for a lot of reasons. Send that, send that trophy to your first. <laughs> Like, oh my mm. gosh. <laughs> when, when I left the, the, um, the hospital at Cedars, the entire like medical team there, they were so supportive and they, they were like, when you, when you come back and you win your first race, dedicate it to us. Aww. And so when, after I won that, it was like, I, I messaged the medical team there and I was like, thank you like so much for, for everything. And Mm. yeah, I was like, that was dedicated to you guys. So it was, yeah, it was awesome for so many reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so not surprising about Sarah. I mean, Jess is just, yeah. Yeah. So good. She's a legend. (laughs) (sighs) And and you're, I love women (laughs) and the way, yeah just that the community and the way we support each other. Um, you're doing, are you in the Grand Prix this year? I am. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like so nervous about. Cause yeah, it'd be mean, great. La- uh, we'll see. I'm like, I'm trying not to put the pressure on myself. Yeah. Like I, I want to, I just want to have fun with it. I want to, you know, push myself as much as I can because you know, that's what we do as athletes, but I also have to, you know, respect my body and the limitations it has now. Um, like I'm super heat sensitive when I get hot, my, like a lot of the nerve pain sensations come back in my hands. And, um, as far as like being able to like handle the, the, the stress on your body from those efforts is still really new to me. Um, so it's very unclear how, yeah, how my body will handle it because like after a couple of hard workouts, I get pretty fatigued. Um, so I think the season is just going to be, uh, it's going to be a huge learning experience as far as like the stress I can put on my body and what it can handle. So I'm excited, but I'm nervous. Yeah. That's a story lifetime needs to share. Christine. Oh, believe me. Like I, when we saw Starla's name come through, I was like, yes. <laughs> so, um, I was really happy that you submitted again. Cause you know, yeah. I think, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack there, but just excited because I think that, you know, the women's field always has these amazing stories. And <clears throat> the call of the lifetime series is dropping next Friday, like the 28th of January. And there's, you know, episode, there's six mini episodes They we feature women in half of them and men in half of them. And the exciting thing is that the, I do, I just think that the women's episodes are so they're all good, but the women's episodes are just stellar. So we just, That's awesome. we just know how to be amazing humans. <laughs> Not that the men don't that like, yeah. it's just, it's just a different, I mean, this story is incredible and you know, I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, a lot of men understand that women, when we talk about having to advocate for ourselves, they don't understand what that actually means. And mm-hmm. you see it 
when you step back and look at it, you just see it all the time. And you're like, it's such, it's such a small thing, but it's also just so it's so woven into our culture that we just, it, it, I, I hope that we are working on really hard on spreading that message to all women that you just have to advocate for yourself. You're not being a bitch. You're not crazy. It's just, to get your point across, you have to be willing to step up and say, I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. This is real and I need help. And you know, that's it. I just think it's easier for men when they do that than it is for us for whatever reason. So it's a, it's a great story and it's luckily it's a, it's a good ending. So, you know, that's, that's the beautiful part. Yeah, so. I'm here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter Yay. for sure. <laughs> so did that, like, as you approach this new season of your distance to empty team, like, how does, how does what you went through last year, like, how does that inform that? Or like, does it change anything in the way you're talking to the team or you're coaching or training or? Yeah. I mean, it had a huge influence. So, I mean, we announced the riders that were picked and then we went radio silent. And then my husband had to reach out to all of them and let them know what was going on. And the, the four, four women that we originally selected were just incredible Mm -hmm. with their understanding, their support. And they were just like, well, we're a team now. And, you know, they all connected and rode together and supported each other, even, even though we weren't there to like facilitate what, what we originally intended. And so they went to the races and events and we participated in supporting them as much as we could. Um, and like all the sponsors I had last year were just phenomenal without putting any pressure on me. And they're just like, just focus on you getting better and don't worry about your obligations to us. And so at the, the rad, uh, gravel, uh, rate gravel festival, um, last year was the end event for our riders. And we, announced to them at that event that we wanted to bring them back because one, we, we didn't feel like we gave them the season that we intended. And also they were just, just absolute amazing, like personalities and like energy and their stories were like so incredible and inspiring. And we're like, we're not done with you. We, we, we want to give you another crack at this and we want to support you in the way that we intended, but also we want these, the next round that we pick to be supported by you and learn from like what you've experienced. And so, yeah, so we, we decided to bring, um, three of them back. The fourth one had moved out of state and unfortunately we couldn't support her being out of state, And so we brought on, um, four new applicants to, to come together with the current three. And yeah, it was like when we, we did the applications this year, we were just overwhelmed by how many applicants we had. And then it was like, okay, how are we only going to pick four? (laughs) And yeah, so we ended up with again, another phenomenal group of women that I'm just blown away by. Like, every single one of them brings something different to the team. And yeah, we're super, super excited to, to have them on board and hopefully 
give everybody, yeah, the the season that we intended in the first place, but even more so because like I've learned so much um just from this whole experience that it's it's more than about the event, about the race. And so it's kind of given me a different perspective on how I personally can support them um, through through this experience. Because for some of them, it'll be, you know, they're pursuing different things, whether it's their first event ever or they're trying to eventually go pro. And so I'm bringing, I think, more experience into this coming season um, than I would have before this entire experience. So awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know that's so good. Or I think Joan told me this morning, you're a BMC athlete. So we work closely with Joan and yep. uh, she said that I think four of them are going to come to the gravel festival with you. Yes, I am. Yeah. It was, I'm so excited. Yeah. I think it's either going to be three or four. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to figure some things out, but yeah, we're, we're going to be splitting the team. Um, so half of them are going to come and then the other half is going to get to go to co to it, which I'm so excited for them to experience that race because that's what won my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And then we're working on a distance to MJ experience that hopefully everybody gets to be a part of at the gravel festival. So I'm going to be great excited about that as well. So yeah. Well, cool. Well, if uh, we've been talking to you for a long time and I've loved this. I know. <laughs> I'm like, wow, we've been on like almost an hour. Um, but if people want to follow you or find out more about Distance to Empty, and also I think at some point in the year, do you sell your kits? Because I also heard from a little birdie that you're the designer. And I was like, those kits are so beautiful. And I'm kind of regretting that I didn't buy one last year. <laughs> well, you will have an opportunity. Um, yeah. So des- designs are done. Um, we're partnered again with Eliel. They'll be producing them. And so, um, designs will be out soon and the store should be opening up, um, early to mid April. And we're going to be offering both last year's designs and the new designs for this year. There you go, Catherine. Which, you can get one of each. I know. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm re- really, really excited about, especially the story, um, behind this year's design, but that will be announced soon. You so. laying in a hospital bed? With- yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. It's a lot more exciting and inspired than that. <laughs> um, okay. And then where can people follow you or connect with you? Um, so mostly on Instagram. So you can follow me personally at Starla T. And you can follow distance to empty and it's distance to the number empty, um, on Instagram and then on our website, which we just launched, um, a new version of that. And that's uh, distance to empty.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and for sharing your story today, Starla. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great. Yeah. Ch- chatting with you guys and being able to tell the story in my, uh, kind of incoherent way but (laughs) (laughs) you have been listening to the girls gone gravel podcast this podcast is edited and produced by the team at live feisty media if you've enjoyed the show please leave us a rating it really helps other women find the podcast and be sure to follow us at girls gone gravel on instagram or facebook